0: Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM.
1: Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for another day in your presence to to hear your word, what you have for us. I thank you, Father, for anointing me. Uh, and giving me a spirit to hear and ears to hear your word and what you have for your people. Father, I pray for inspiration, revelation, and illumination of your word today. I pray uh, that this word speaks to someone or all, or everyone. I pray it be, the word be sown on good ground that it may increase 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Uh, we pray for P.D. as he's away. We just pray your blessings over him, your protection as he travels and... Um, through this snowstorm, uh, we pray for uh, anoint the pilots and the, the staff um, that they get him home safely. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, um, Matthew one. Uh, this is most best known as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's it was it was interesting when PD asked me to preach. He said, um, I said, what do you want me to preach on? Because usually he gives me a topic. And uh, he was like, just whatever your heart leads you to. So I was reading through Matthew anyway, and I got to this and I was just like, you know, I never really actually dug deep into the Sermon on the Mount, especially um, what we know as the Beatitudes. Um, I think it's because, I don't know, it's just kind of one of those things you just read over and you skip over and you don't really, really dig deep into what it's saying. So uh, I'm gonna try and cover most of it today (laughs) Um, It's a lot. Sermon on the Mountain is like three chapters, but uh, I'm not going to get through all of that. I know that, but uh, I'm at least trying to cover the Beatitudes today. Um, There's eight of them. So first, let's start. Um, I'll read it and then we'll go through it. So uh, Matthew chapter five, verse one, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, who are the blessed? Right? Eight times he says, "Blessed are." Right. So, who are the blessed? We we look at uh, we look at people and we say, people who have money. People who have status, people who have—we you know, say they're blessed. But really, who are the blessed? Um, so, first, "bless" in the Webster's dictionary just means to be held in reverence, to be honored in worship, or um, or of enjoying happiness, um, bringing pleasure, contentment, or good fortune. So, um, bless you. We uh, we seek thing We seek to find happiness in things, and statuses, and cultures, and jobs, and um, everything but what God really has called us to be blessed in. Right? Um, we look at, we compare ourselves to our friends and family and even celebrities on Facebook and Instagram and all other social media. Uh, we compare ourselves to our coworkers and our peers. And you know, if this person got a house, we we want a bigger house, and we want to, we want God to bless us with bigger things, better things than the next person. But what's interesting is in all of this, um, in these eight things, and, and Jesus is talking about these eight things that, that constitute, or I would say would, would define who the blessed people really are. He never talks about things. He never talks about, really, it's really all about character. Um, every single one of these relates somehow to our character and, and how we behave and how we live our lives. Not so much what we're after, but um, just what we do. And so I would like to challenge you and say that the blessed are those who are happy and content in their walk with God. John Piper says this. He says it pretty often. He actually, I think he coined the phrase, actually. He says, God is most glorified in us. We are most satisfied in him. And I, I think at the height of Christian satisfaction should be God. We shouldn't be looking for anything. If we were looking to be blessed, if we're looking to be satisfied in, in our lives here on the earth, I think God is calling us to be most satisfied in Him and and, um, and what He's already done for us, not necessarily what He's given us, but I think as Romans twelve says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, and I think that's where the blessing comes in. That's the blessing. We're new. We're a new creation. We're not the the old me has passed away. So this is a, often a common phrase, right? When you uh, or it's, now it's kind of become a, a joke or a meme. Is when you ask a Christian, how, you know, how you doing today? How's everything? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. What does it really? That, what does that mean, right? Is it because everything's going right? Is it because I got everything? I got money. I got status. I got whatever. I'm blessed and highly favored. What does it really mean to be blessed? Who are the truly blessed? It can't be the people with the most money, right? Because um, Oprah, we could say she's blessed, but if she's blessed, then how much more should we be blessed with financially? as children of God, right? Um, So it can't be the people with the most money. It can't be the people with the most status because oftentimes they're not even saved. So what does it mean to be truly blessed? If we go through this, these eight beatitudes and beatitudes simply just, actually just mean happiness or blessings. They're all, like I said, they all deal with character. They all deal with how we behave. So if we look at, I'm just gonna go through each one and kind of just break each one down a little bit. So, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? When you first look at it, it's like, well, if blessings mean happiness or being content, then how is being poor in spirit, how is that a blessing? Right? It seems like an oxymoron. How can, be, how can you be poor and blessed? Because right? most people who are poor aren't happy. Most and so poor in spirit means you. You would think that would mean depressed or um, down, but it actually just means to be humble. Um, in our culture, we tend to, like I said, we tend to associate being poor with homelessness. Uh, we tend to associate it with lacking something, but in this case, it actually just means that we are we are lowly. We're lowly in spirit. We're humble. We're not prideful. We're not. We're not um, exalting ourselves above anything or anybody. We're just we're poor in spirit. We're humble. We're we've humbled ourselves. So it's safe to assume. Like, uh, let's go to actually Luke chapter six, Luke chapter six, verse twenty-four. So Luke chapter six, verse twenty-four, Jesus says, "But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full." Now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So Jesus is saying, those who have exalted themselves, or those who are rich, or those who are happy now, or or, um, they've already received their reward. right? Those who are happy in the the things of this world, um, those who are rich in the things of this world, they've already received their reward. So I wrote here. We can safely assume they have already received their reward, and and our reward would be in heaven. But this this verse, Matthew chapter five, verse three, isn't referring to physical poverty, as it, as we most of us have always thought. It's actually referring to spiritual poverty. Notice he says, "The poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them." So when you're lowly in spirit, if uh, I went over this verse last week, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. And prior to that verse, he talked about the pestilence and the famine and the sickness and disease coming. And so he said, humble yourselves and pray and seek my face. And he says, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal the the land and and I will heal my people. I will save my people. So to be poor in spirit is just to humble yourself and acknowledge that you need, you need someone else, you need God, you need a savior. It's to say that I'm low in my spirit because I, on my own, my own personal life, I can't do anything without God. It's humility, that's what humility is, right? Um, D.A. Carson, who's a um, well-known pastor says, poverty of the spirit is the personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy, it is the conscious confession of unworth before God as such, it is the deepest form of repentance. By humbling ourselves, we show the Lord true repentance. Pride says, I don't have a need of a savior, therefore I don't need to repent. I've done nothing wrong, and therefore what do I need a savior for? But humility says the opposite. Humility says we're all morally spirit, and spiritually bankrupt. We, can, we can't do anything on our own, but we rely on the Lord only for our salvation, mercy, and grace. If we go back to Second Chronicles 17 again, you know, Jesus prior the, the verse prior, he says when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people then he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from, from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. See, God sees humility as the first step to repentance. You can't You have to be humble before you can repent. It's often times when you see people who are addicted, right? Or um, they have issues, whether it be depression or anything else. The first step is to humble yourself and say, I need help. Right? The first step to addiction is to say that I need help. I have a problem and I need, I can't solve it on my own. And so God sees it the same way. We have a spiritual problem that we can't solve on our own. And so we need to be humble and humble ourselves, make ourselves poor in spirit. And then we can truly repent. So let's go to me to Romans chapter seven, verse 14. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Says this: For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I want, What I, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that that is in my flesh. For I have the the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want is it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells within me so basically paul is saying here the same thing like i everything that i want to do is of the flesh everything that i desire is of the flesh and i know it's wrong and he's saying but and in anything that i do usually what i do is what i don't want to do even though i desire to do good things i can't in my own self I have to rely. Later on, he talks about life in the spirit and how we have to rely on the spirit. It's basically the same concept, the same idea, the same thing. He's saying that what I want to do, I don't do. So I need someone. I'm spiritually. I need someone spiritually. I need a savior to come in and change me and make me better, make me spiritually conscious, if I can say it that way to desire and do the things that God has called me to do. And that's all that being poor in spirit is, um, is humbling yourself to say that I need a savior. So let's go on to the next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, another one that seems kind of um, dichotomous, right? Because you're blessed. Blessed people don't, shouldn't be mourning, right? Because we just said blessed means happiness. Blessed means contentment. So why are we mourning? It's a similar to the important spirit. And all these kind of build on each other as we go through all eight of them. You'll see they all sort of build on to the next, the next idea. And so it's the same idea. We're mourning. We're not mourning essentially in the the physical, right? We're not mourning death of a family member. Or, although that could be um, the case, but we're most sort of mourning ourselves and our sin. We realize that. Like once you once you humble yourself and you say, OK, I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. Then the next thing is that you say you you recognize your sin, right? All of us that have come to Christ, we at some point we had that aha, they call it the aha moment, right, where you're like, whoa, I am a terribly wicked person and I need a savior. And so when that happens, you mourn your old self, right? Because just like we said, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're mourning that old self. And so he's saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We're mourning our old self. We're mo- uh, a lot of times when you look at Christians, it's like, oh man, my old life was so great before Christ. And so sometimes we mourn that life. We or we mourn ourselves now, saying, like, wow, that person is dead. That whoever that was, the old David is dead. And so we mourn that and we're we're saddened over our sin, over how how we behaved, or over who we were. Um and sometimes you get to that moment where you're like, Man, I can't believe I did all that stuff. It may not have been the worst thing in the world. It could have been simple stuff, but in comparison to the Savior, it's like Wow, I can't believe I was that bad. And so mourning isn't necessarily the mourning that we think of when we think of someone died, even though we can relate it that way. It's more so we're mourning who we were. So uh, D.A. Carson again says this. He says, This mourning is a personal grief over personal sin. This is the mourning experienced by a man who begins to recognize the blackness of his sin. The more he is exposed to the purity of God, it is the cry of a man who goes after purity in his own strength and finds he cannot achieve it and cries, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then uh, he cites Romans 7:24, which we just read. And so let me give you an example of this. I go to Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six, verse one. Isaiah chapter six, verse one says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And I said, "Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." So we'll stop right there. Um, so that last verse, verse five, when Isaiah, Isaiah has he's seen the Lord. He's he's had a vision of of heaven, and, and the throne room, and he sees he sees God sitting on the throne, and he sees the angels singing going back and forth, just singing to God, holy is the Lord, the whole earth is full of his glory. And they just, they just do this all day and night. This is all they do because every time, every time they get a little glimpse of God, they just, they can't help but praise him. And so Isaiah sees it and he says, he, he comes to himself basically and he's like, woe is me, like, who am I? And remember, Isaiah was a prophet, so it's not like he was living a, a very sinful life. And he's saying like, wow, if if this is God, like, what a wretched man I am. Like, I, I, I'm just, I'm worthy of death. I'm worthy of everything that I, I, you know, that I'm worthy of the wrath of God, right? Because he's saying, this 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 is how great God is. This is how, so he's mourning himself. It's the same thing, it's that same idea of mourning and just like, wow, I'm just, this is how bad I am. If we look at the word woe, it actually signifies great sorrow distress even to the point of death. So that's what Isaiah is saying here is like, I'm to the point of death that I'm just, I'm so in awestruck of God and who he is and his holiness. As we recognize our inability to, to live a sinless life, we mourn ourselves. We could also mourn the state of the world as sin becomes ever prominent, deceitfulness, injustice, cruelty, attacks. We see all the things in the media, right? That could cause us to mourn. You know, we see it every day somebody's dying on the news. Um, Every day something terrible is happening. So even in those instances, we mourn not only ourselves, but the world around us. Like Isaiah said, I am a a man who dwells among a people of unclean lips. Like we are all deceitfully wicked and, and just desperate for a savior. But Revelation says, so when Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's saying... But there will come a day where those who those who mourn, those who recognize their sin, they recognize their inability and in, the, in their need of a savior, and they humble themselves and seek that savior. For um, they will be comforted. When we go to Revelations, it says that you know He will wipe wipe away every tear from my eye. Why, if we're saved, why will we be crying? Because we're we're mourning those who were lost, those who who did not meet that savior. Some of them were our friends and family. Um, but God is saying, I will comfort, Jesus is saying, I will comfort you in that day. And um, yeah, I will be your comfort. The next one, uh, verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So this one was a little confusing to me too, because I said, well, if, if, we're, if poor in spirit is being humble, then isn't meekness the same thing? And it's actually not. Most people uh, equate the two They say, oh, if you're meek, you're humble. Or sometimes they say, if you're meek. Like, some people say meekness is weakness, right? You're timid. Timid. Typically, when we think about meek, we think about timidity, we think about shyness, we think about people who draw back. Um, But that's actually not what meekness means. It's actually just kind of, it's it's similar to humility, but it's more of an action. Humility is more of a heart and a character. Meekness is more of an action. It's being able to, uh, and I had the definition, I got to... I didn't separate it, but it basically means to to be strong or, or controlled. Oh, here it is. Meekness is a controlled desire to see the other to see the other's interests advance ahead of your your own. It's knowing when to speak and when to shut your mouth. There's a rapper, a Christian rapper by the name of Swoop. He says this thing. He says, if you think being meek is weak, try being meek for a week, right? So it's that, it's, it's, it's when somebody's attacking you, somebody's attacking you verbally, physically, whatever it may be, and there's some kind of injustice being done to you, and you're able to just say, I'm not, I don't need to defend myself. I'm just gonna sit back and I'm gonna, you know, I mean, there's times where you need to defend yourself, but then there's other times where you just say, "Now is not the time for me to say anything or do anything. The Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord. And so sometimes, but, you know, and even later on in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, if, you know, we hear it all the time, if, if a man slaps you, turn the other cheek, give him the other cheek, right? And then he also says, if someone takes your tunic, give him your shirt also. So that's meekness, that's being able to say, even though this injustice is being done and I'm being treated unfairly or whatever, I'm gonna stand strong in the interest of the other person. Because sometimes, that interest is, my response may be the difference between them getting saved and not getting saved, them coming to a savior or not. Sometimes it's, it's, it's knowing, like I said, it's, it's knowing them when to remain silent. I put here, meekness is taking the butt whooping from mom and dad, even though you know you weren't the one who did wrong. Um, Jesus did it for us, right? Jesus is probably even the most meek person on the planet. Um, he remained silent while being persecuted while on his way to the cross. They they called him names, they spit at him, they beat him. They, you know, they, all different different things, right? So actually we can go there. Isaiah 53, verse seven. So uh, you guys can see it for yourself. Isaiah 53, verse seven. This is, so this is Isaiah, Isaiah basically having a, a, a prophecy or a vision of Jesus going to the cross and verse 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent so he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of of my people and they make his grave with wicked and with, with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And so, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes <clears throat> an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, that the will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. And so we see here that Jesus was oppressed, he was aff- afflicted, he was beat. We know he was he was crucified on the cross. And so he he didn't open his mouth for the furtherance of the will of God. And it says later that because of, because he didn't open his mouth, the Lord blessed the generations to come, which we know, God blessed the generations to come, which we know is salvation. All right, so let's go to, I'm trying to get through all of them, so I'm rushing a little bit. But uh the next one, verse six, Matthew five, verse six says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied, and this one seems pretty easy. But have any like, and I, I touched on this a little bit last week. Have any of us really been ever really been hungry, ever really been thirsty? Because it's, it's easy to say you're hungry when you got a little, you know, you get a little stomach rumbling, or you haven't eaten in a little while. But how much of us have really, really been hungry, even to the point of death, possibly? How many of us have really been thirsty that thirsty and I think this is what Jesus Jesus is saying here is like blessed are those who hunger and thirst so if you're ble- the blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness and righteousness is basically right moral right moral characters, right actions or right moral char- so doing the right thing all the time right um, for they shall be satisfied. I went over this verse last week, Psalm 42, verse 1, says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. And like I said, I don't think many of us know what, what it means to really be hungry, what it really means to be thirsty. I think we know, we know, we have an idea because we've, like I said, we've had those uncomfortable moments where, I'm a little hungry because I haven't eaten in six hours or I'm a little thirsty because it's hot outside. But do we know what it means to really, really be hungry and thirsty? And then do we know what it means to spiritually be hungry and thirsty, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, hungry and thirsty for God? I think most of us don't. I think we're satisfied with just coming to church on Sunday and we're good for the week. Brother Hagen says it like this, Ken P. Hagin, he says, um, most Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day would give their spirits one cold snack a week. And I think that's where most of us are. We're like, I'm good, I went to church on Sunday. I'm good, I, I read my Bible for 10 minutes. But if I gave you one snack for the week, some chips or whatever, even if it was a sandwich, what good does that do you for the week? You're, you're good for the minute, for the moment, maybe a couple hours, maybe even a day you could probably get by, but for seven days? And yet we, we only feed our spirit for one day, most of us. A few hours at that. It's not even a full day. It's two hours or so, three hours. And so, like I said, I don't think it, most of us, I don't think, know what it means to really be hungry and thirsty. Quick story, so I know... Like every year we do the fast, right? We do the 21-day fast or lately it's been three-day fast um, with the church. And I remember the first year, I think it was the first year we did it, everybody was just like, like I think by like day like 18, like everybody was ready to like riot. I remember we were in a group chat and PD, PD was like, come on, we got a few more days to go. And everybody's like, no, this needs to end now. Like we're we're tired, we're hungry, we're like, no, we need to stop now. And I think I remember being like, no, no, we can do it, we can do it. And everybody's like, no, no, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I want to eat, I want, and I think the same way where we were ready to like, we were we were all ready to like throw PD out the church. <laughs> For that, you know, for that, those 21 days or it it didn't even last 21 days, but those whatever many, two weeks or whatever, um, I think we need to have that same zeal and that same, same desire for God, that same hunger for God to say like, no, I need to eat. Like I need, nothing else can come between me and God. You know, when I wake up in the morning, nothing else, I should not be hungry for anything else other than God. Like we need to have that same desire. Like if something comes, like if. If we forget to pray or we forget to read our Bible or or whatever throughout the day, we should be angry, We should be mad. Same way we'd be mad if we didn't eat. The same way we'd be mad if we didn't have you know if we were thirsty and nobody wanted to get somebody's drinking something and they won't give it to us. I think that's the same way we should be. I I shouldn't even say I think I know that's the way we should be, um, but most of us, you know, God is just a little snack on the side. God is the dessert. The, you know the bible's the dessert. we got our we got our fix in instagram and facebook and hanging out with our friends and watching you know binge watching netflix and narcos and all these different shows and we're like oh, okay icing on the cake is if i if i could squeeze in 10 minutes and read my bible i had a good day that's the icing on the cake that what i read my bible today yes but it's like really that should have been your first priority the, day, the minute you woke up should have been Where's my Bible? Where's my you know? Let me go pray. Let me let me let me start my day off right, or even just in mid midday, whatever, because you know being in constant communication with God constantly, because you wouldn't only talk to your spouse or your fr- your best friend for 10 minutes a week. You know you you're like yo, I haven't seen I haven't talked to my wife in two days. Like that's a problem, right? But we treat God like Like I said, like he's that icing on the cake, like, uh, it's a little snack. I can have that. If I get it, it's cool. If I don't, that's cool too. I'm good. So I just, you know, I think, like I said, like Jesus said, man should not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So how do you feed? Like I said, how do we feed our bodies three times a day, sometimes more? And yet we don't have that same hunger for God. And we only feed ourselves once once a week. You know, we should live and breathe God's word until we are satisfied. Verse 7. Verse 7. Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Courtney went through a whole sermon about this one, so I'm gonna make this one kind of quick. But you know, what is mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And so Basically, the people that we, uh, the people that have done us wrong, the people who have not necessarily been kind to us, um, the people who who we should be forgiving, or even the ones that we, that they really haven't done anything wrong, but we just should have compassion on them because of, you know, they're, they're just wicked people. Sometimes people are just wicked for no reason. If it's within our power to do something about it, then we should have mercy on them and, and compassion for them, because we're the one like uh, I think I don't remember who said this, but well, I heard a lot of people say it, but they say, if you know better, you should do better. and so we're the ones who know better, we know the Savior, we know Christ, and so when we see people who are wicked and they're just sinful and they're just mean and nasty for whatever reason, we shouldn't be mad at them because they're not saved, we should feel bad for them actually. we should have compassion on them because it's like you don't know the Savior. If you knew better, you would do better. But we do know better. So rather than retaliate, rather than be angry, rather than be mad, we should have compassion and mercy on them. And then Jesus says, and likewise, we'll receive mercy. You know, Luke 6, 37 says, forgive and you will be forgiven, right? So it's the same idea. Uh, we should have compassion and mercy on people around us, people in our lives that, you know, have done us wrong. And you know, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm never talking to them again. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think the right way is to have that compassion and forgiveness, and say, you know what, I understand because you're you're not saved, so you would you wouldn't know how to behave. You know, I forgive you just because you don't know what to do. Even if you are saved, maybe you you know you're still growing in certain areas, and so I forgive you. And I think that's you know forgiveness. Like I said, Courtney preached the whole message on it, but yeah, forgiveness is very important. And Likewise, if you want to be blessed, then, you know, you have to show mercy. The next one, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Psalm 51 and 10 says, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. And I think, you know, it's it's all about our motives and our hearts, right? You know, the Bible says, Romans 10, 9 says, if any man, you know, confess, calls on the name of the Lord and believes in his heart, but does not doubt, he shall be saved and i think it's so like so much of god is connected to our hearts cuz that's our true that's our true being right our hearts not necessarily this heart right here but our inner being our spirit is it's who we truly are your what your heart says your motives what your your intents are 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 the true you that's the real you so if you have clean like jesus is saying if you have pure clean motives in your heart then you will see god you will You'll know God, you know, Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I think you just have, you have to have that clean, you have to have that clean, pure heart and, you know, only God can do it. And that's why I said like all these build on top of each other because, you know, first you have to humble yourself and then you, you recognize that you're in need of a savior. And so you, you repent And then, by repenting, you change your character, and you realize that meekness is important and humility, and not so much being vengeful and revengeful and vindictive and things like that. And then, that hunger and that thirst for that righteousness will create that pure heart in you. And so, I think, like I said, talking about being blessed and who the truly blessed are, these are the people that are the truly blessed. The blessed are the ones who are. They're humble, they're seeking a savior, they're repentant they're they're not prideful, they're hungry for God, they're thirsty for God, they're merciful and forgiving, and they're pure in heart. That's who the truly blessed are. You know we talk about washing ourselves with the word, so getting in the word and understanding and cleansing ourselves of all the, the things of the world like p d always says, like strip off the world, right like um. I remember one time he used to tell he told me like you get around certain people and you just like you can just see the world all over them. It's just like there's no God in you at all. Like you just know that they've never they haven't spent time with God maybe ever. And so that that purity, getting that purity in your heart is spending that time with God and stripping off the world, whether it be prayer, whether it be fasting, whether it be praying, um, reading your word, whether it be whatever it is. Is really just cleansing yourself um, of all unrighteousness and, and making yourself clean. And Jesus says that those people are the ones who will see God. That's in eternity and even now. So next one, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And so what are peacemakers? Those are the ones who are always looking to keep the peace. I've kind of been known a lot of my life as a peacemaker. I'm always the one who's like, look at it on the other side. Let's like let's not always look at people for the wrong motives. Let's like maybe they maybe they had good intentions. They just went about it the wrong way. You know, it's just cuz like a lot of times we tend to think of people's motives and we tend to always look at the negative and we always kind of shrink back and like, oh, no, he he did that on purpose. And it's like maybe they didn't. Maybe they really didn't know. And so or even just like sometimes you people that you have like we know a lot of troublemakers, right? There's a lot of people that make trouble. There's a lot of people that say, "Oh, you know, so and so said this," and they and they, they just want to institute trouble into things for no reason. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, "Blessed are the ones who the the ones who are truly blessed are the ones who are trying to make peace. They're the ones who are trying to bring people back together. They're they're the ones who are trying to restore relationships. They're the ones who are trying to um, always trying to see the brighter side between people who are you know." Um, struggling in some kind of way, some kind of strife or whatever. And those are the ones who we call sons of God. And so I found this interesting because I was, read- I was reading a book about this and uh, they use the example of like, when you call like someone a-, a son of a gun or other words, right, you're equating that person to that character. So you're saying by you being the son of someone you have the character of that person. Like, I'm the son of my father. I look and I act and I, you know, behave somewhat like my father. People can look at me and say, oh, you're David's son, right? And so go with me to John chapter eight, John chapter eight real quick. I'm gonna show you guys. And this is something I didn't notice, but it was like, um, I didn't notice until I started studying this. And I was like, wow, this is interesting verse 39. So Jesus is talking to the to the the Jews and some of the leaders of the synagogue. And so verse 39, they said it says they answered him, "Abraham is our father." Jesus says to them, "If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works of your father, the works your father did." They said to him, "We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God." Jesus said to them, "If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear, bear to hear my word. You are of your Father the devil, and your will is to do your Father is to do your Father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the in the truth." because there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies because i tell you the truth because i tell the truth you do not believe me which one of you convicts me of sin if i tell the truth why do you not believe me whoever is of god hears the words of god the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of god and so jesus is talking to the jews and they like this is before they're like they're trying to they take him to the the courts and they're trying to crucify him and he's saying, and they're saying, we're we're of our father. Abraham is our father. And he's saying, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing what Abraham did. And then they said, so then they came back and they said, well, okay, fine. Well, we're, we only have one father and his name is God. And then he's saying, you're not of God either, because if you were a God, you would do what God has called you to do. But you're of your father, the devil. And so he's calling them sons of the devil. And so it's the same idea, because they're, they're, and actually, it was when I was reading this, it was like, "Wow, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God." And then you read this, and they were doing the exact opposite of being a peacemaker. They were causing trouble. They, they had Jesus. He didn't do anything wrong. He was going around. He was just preaching and healing people. And they're like, "No, like we need to crucify him. We need to kill him." They were causing trouble, and so because they were causing trouble, the exact opposite of this, they're being called sons of the devil. And so. If you want to, you want to, you want to be called blessed. If you want to know what it means to be blessed, part of that is being a peacemaker, and by doing that, you take on the character of God, and you'll be called, as we call it now, Christians, right? Um, which Christian simply means follower of Christ or child of Christ, right? So, yeah, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> the last, oh, I got two more. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you remember, we started this. We said, blessed, in the, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." And now we're closing. Um, Jesus is closing with a similar statement: "Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." And so, in litera- in literature, this is called a container. It's when you put you put a statement in the beginning and you repeat the statement at the end. So what that does is that says that everything in between by doing everything in between or by uh understanding or whatever it is that you know that's the end result so the end result for all of this is for us to see the kingdom of heaven so by doing all these things in between from being poor in spirit down to being persecuted we are gaining heaven and shunning hell right so by being we all know we all know what persecution is we understand what persecution is persecution is is basically just being ill-treated for whatever it is. It could be religion, it could be sexual orientation, it could be color, it could be, uh, or race. It could be because you're tall, it could be because you're short. People get persecuted for anything these days. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. So uh, that's the person who is trying to live a life, or or trying to live a righteous lifestyle and they're being persecuted for it, they're being ill-treated for it. It's the guy who says, nah, I don't go to those parties because that's just not, you know, there's nothing good there. And so now his friends or family or whoever is, they're making fun of him. They're like, oh, something wrong with him. There's, you know, he's not he's not he's this, he's that. He's so you're being persecuted for righteousness sake. It's the person who says, you know, I'm just going to go off. I'm not going to use any social media because that's my advice. And I just I need to stay away from it because I want to stay pure. And people were like, oh, what are you? You're weird, you're this, you're that. That's being persecuted for righteousness. And so Jesus saying by, you know, when those things happen, count it as joy, count it as a blessing, because that means you're inheriting the kingdom of heaven. You're you're shunning away the things, the, the rewards, like I talked about earlier, the ones who already have those things who are called blessed today, who had the money and the status and the fame and all these different things, they already received their reward. And so he's saying, count it, as bless, count it as joy, count it as a blessing when you're persecuted because you're, you're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then similarly, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For the, So they persecuted the prophets and who were before you. And so it's the same idea. We should be counting these things as joy. I, I think it's in Acts chapter Oh man, I forgot. I think it's Acts chapter 5, but Paul and Silas, Paul and, and no, actually it wasn't Paul yet. It was the other apostles. Um, they were they were taken to the court and they were beaten. They were given the 39 lashes. And it says that they left out rejoicing that they were counted among as, uh, they were like rewarded. They were counted as a reward. Like they were able, to, they were like equating themselves with Christ. Like, wow, we were able to be persecuted the same as Christ was. And so they counted it as joy, and it said they went away rejoicing and glad. Like they just got beat nearly to death and they were rejoicing. Because, because similar to this, like he said, um, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they, they were counting that as like, wow, this is our, like, uh, when we get to heaven, our reward is gonna be so great because of what we, we've endured right now, right? So then my last point, verse 13, and four, 13 14, 15, and 16, it says you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown, thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so, right, a lot of people look at this and they're like, well, how can salt lose its taste? Right, um, Salt is always salty, right? But salt can be, though it can't necessarily lose its taste, it can be diluted. So back then, salt was used for, wasn't just used for seasoning food like we use it today. It was used to preserve food because they didn't have refrigerators, so you would salt meats. right? And when you salt the meat, that kept it preserved for a few days, sometimes weeks, uh, maybe even months, depending on the conditions. And so if salt becomes used, so a common thing that people would do was, because salt was kind of expensive, they would mix it with sand and different things. And so if you mix it with too much of sand or dirt or whatever, it's useless. Because it, it's not going, sand is not going to preserve meat, right? If you bury meat in the sand or the dirt, it's just going to go bad and it's going to deteriorate, it's going to decompose, and it's going you're going to go back and you're going to find either rotting meat and maggots or just nothing there, you know, worms or whatever. And so, when he's saying if salt has lost its taste or has lost its salt or has lost its saltiness, how can it be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. And so it's the same thing, like they, they, once it was done, once they used it for whatever they used it for, they didn't reuse that same salt again, right? So if you, you salt this meat, you put it away for a week or whatever, whatever was left, you didn't reuse it, you just threw it out, because it's useless now. It's been used for whatever it's been used for. And so it's the same, he's saying for us, we're the same thing, if we're not, if we don't have that same saltiness, if we don't have that same effect on the on the earth, then we're useless. If we haven't, if we're not, if we are not we are not enticing to the world in the sense of like, you know, we have something that you don't, then we're useless. We're only good to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We're only, we're, we're, we're nothing. We're not, we're not worth anything, because we're not, like I said. So the, going back to that hunger and thirsting for righteousness is. Just, it's like, if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, when we lose our saltiness, we lose our zeal for God, we lose our fire for God, we lose um, our desire for God, and we're acting just like the world, then we're the salt We're salt, and they're, they're the dirt and we're, you can't tell the difference. You've mixed, you've mixed it in so much that it's like, well, what's the difference? Both of you, you know, it's useless. Similarly, he says, you a, a, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all the ho- all in the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven and Cleve touched on this a little bit last week or oh, two weeks ago you know um, being the light of the world so you think of a city set on a hill cannot be hidden if anybody's ever been to like the deep south or even parts of pennsylvania where there's not a lot of industrial or urban areas and there's not a lot of lights and things like that you can see a light it could be a light from a cell phone from miles away because it's so dark right and so that's the only light you see other than the light from the stars and things like that but if it's a you know if it's not a full moon there's not even a whole lot of light there and so you could like when he's talking about a city set on a hill we got to remember they didn't have street lights and things like that And so he's saying, a city set on a hill, that's the only place where light is emanating from. And it's dark, vast, you know, they were in the Middle East, so most of it was desert and just nothingness. And so in the middle of the night, you can't hide that city. As hard as you try, you'll never be able to hide that city because it's, it's the only thing that's light, right? Like if you walk into a dark room in your house and the only light on is the light, you know, the little LED from the TV, you see that light immediately. It stands out. You can't hide it. And so he's saying the same thing. We're the light of the world. We're a city set on a hill and we can't we need to let our light shine. We shouldn't be able to hide our light. We shouldn't, you know, people should see our light from miles away. People should see us from miles away and be like, man, that guy, he's got something. He's different. Or she's got something. She's different. She's got the, you know, she's got God all over her. Like I had a friend who I guess you could call it a gift. Like he had this the spirit of discernment, and he could see people's like, like he could see into the spiritual realm. He could look at people and see like, like light. He would see light around them or darkness or you know different things, and he would just be like, yeah, something about them. Yeah, they're not, they're not right, and he would just see that. Like you know, he could see into their, like I said, into the spirit realm. He could see the, that that darkness on them and that you know that heaviness of the world on them, and so. It was funny because like we'd be walking and he would see people and he like from like and he'd be like yeah that guy he's saved and I'm like no he's not he's like yes he is and then we like we would talk to him and I'm like oh snap you know like I'm like how did you know and then that's when you know he would tell me like yeah you know I don't know I have, I have this gift and I think it's the same way like you can you should be able to carry yourself we should carry ourselves in a way that just says like yeah I'm saved I'm a Christian I, I believe in God I trust in God and I... I walk in, in, in the light. I'm going to close there. So just to recap, like, who are the blessed? So the blessed are all are these people. But the blessed is not the person who has the most money or the most status or the most friends or the most whatever. The blessed are the people who are humble, who are hungry for God and who are seeking after his righteousness and his mercy and his grace who are looking to, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And so... I want to challenge all of you to be blessed, to be the blessed and to stand out and, and take a step, take a risk for God. It's not really a risk because you know what your guarantees are. These are your guarantees. If you do these things, Jesus is saying, if you do these things, these are your guarantees. You're guaranteed to see, the, see God. You're guaranteed the kingdom of heaven. Father, I just thank you for this word today. I pray that it's been sown on good ground. I, I pray that we hunger and thirst for you. Um, More than ever before, I pray that your will be done in our lives. I pray that we seek after your will and to do your will, um, not after our own desires, but after yours and what you desire for us. I pray for everyone here that they will truly be blessed, um, not just blessed on the surface, but truly be blessed in spirit and in truth. I thank you, Father, for um, this opportunity to minister to your people. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200, or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Grand Cocos, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to his word. God bless you.